actually, I never did do that. I'm just trying to tease him. Um, this, uh, this young man has a very, very bright present. His future is uh, off the properly so it will keep the child safe so that's a great thing that for our community if you know anybody with a young child um, I don't usually do this but I was told this morning that someone is having a birthday today and it's their 90th birthday so Jim Ashlock I think I see him back in the back he is 90 years old today why don't you stand up That's, that's a milestone, so I wanted to mention that one. And then one other thing that's maybe the other end of the spectrum, uh, today is Children's Church. So in the Connection Corner, room 205, if you are a young person, then uh, feel free to make your way up there, or your parent may want to help you get up there, but that is starting uh, right about now. So uh, make your way up to Children's Church, and uh, before we have the baptism, let's just take a minute, and uh, we are a church family, so just look around and find somebody that maybe you haven't said hello to yet, and we'll just take a minute or so and just uh, meet and greet, uh, wave, shake hands, say hello.
as you're making your way back to your seats, I just want to remind everybody there's connect cards if you have any requests or conversation you'd like to start. And uh, please direct your attention to our baptistry because we've got a really cool thing about to take place with Camden and Pastor Jerry. Camden, because you love the Lord, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We are so excited to be here together. It's one of my most favorite portions of the service is to be lifting our voices in praise to our Heavenly Father. And I just ask this morning that you would join us for the Lord says in his word that he inhabits the praise of his people. So if you would just join us in singing, we fall down followed with holy, holy, holy.
that was my son who just got baptized and it is a day to celebrate and I am reminded how great is our God. So would you stand and join us in singing How Great Thou Art. my earbud out so I could hear you guys is overwhelming to hear your praises thank you for that 
the song we're about to do is a song, it's an anthem actually sung by a sinner who has accepted Jesus into his heart as his Lord and Savior, and he's given the Lord thanks. a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. And from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, you have washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Brought me from the darkness into
Thank you for that beautiful music. Good morning. It's good to see you again. And uh, we are going to have a word of prayer. We want God's specific and special blessing upon us as we open his word. Father in heaven, you're our father. We're your children. We've gathered at your feet, so to speak. And we pray that you will tell us, you'll talk to us, you'll teach us, you'll lead our thoughts, you'll direct our emotions, you will be in complete charge of this communication. We pray that you will speak to each one of us as we need to hear, and that this will be life-changing for all of us, and that every one of us will know we're hearing you. And we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up, we lived in East Tawas, Michigan. Our closest town was Tawas City, Michigan. We were separated by a, a fake line. And so you had East Tawas and Tawas City. And uh, whichever place you lived, that was the best community. Otherwise, we were two small towns right next to each other. There was a country club called Tawas Creek Golf and Country Club. And my mother worked there this one summer. She was cooking in the kitchen. And uh, they were having a special tournament. And the tournament was called a stag day, which meant men-only tournament. But... The way I came into play is that they would, some people would pay young people like myself to caddy for them, to carry their clubs. And so at age 12, I qualified to do that, and making five, seven, or eight dollars was big coin for a 12 year old back then. So I decided I would do it. And I got in line where the uh, caddies were supposed to be, and Mr. Ken Khan came by and asked me if I would caddy for him. I knew who Mr. Khan was. He owned an insurance uh, agency in town there, and uh, his son went to school with me. Now, Mr. Khan was very tall, and he was big. And so you can imagine with the name Ken Khan, and being a large man, you know what his nickname was, King Kong. I don't know if anybody ever said that to him 
in person, but that's how we knew him. And I began to caddy for him, and I was nervous as a cat because I did not want to fail. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to earn my money, and I certainly didn't want to tick off this giant of a man. And we were standing at a tee, ready to tee off, and he looked in the bag and he says, where's my pitching wedge? And I looked, I, I don't know where, where it is, and, and he said, I bet you left it on the last green. Go get it and be back here before we're done teeing off. Okay. So I ran as swiftly as I could, got it, ran back, put it in his bag, and everything was good. Well, we finished the tournament without event. And when we got to the end of the tournament, they had a special contest. It uh, was called Closest to the Hole. And they had a par three right there near the clubhouse. And uh, you could chip, and the one who got the closest to the hole would win a prize. I don't know how I got in it. I wasn't an active participant in the tournament, except someone gave me permission to do it, so I did it. And it was the luckiest shot of my life. I came within inches of the hole, and I won the contest. Now, I won first place, and the prize was $25. Now, before you yawn, that was worth $200 back then. So I had this check, and I was excited, and I went home, and I got the Sears catalog out to see how I could spend this $200. I found what I wanted. It was a two-man blow-up life raft, paddles included. And I was so magnanimous in my thoughts, I was thinking I would even let my brother ride with me in that. And we only lived a few blocks from the beach, so we could carry it down to the beach, and oh man, I could just envision the adventures we could have in that two-man inflatable raft with the paddles. Well, that's it. I'm getting that, and so excited about it. The phone rang at the house, and my dad answered and spoke to Mr. McIntosh. Now, Mr. McIntosh was the athletic director of the high school and the basketball coach of the varsity team. He told my father that if that I accepted the $25, it would remove my amateur status and I would not be able to compete in junior high or high school sports. I would be considered a professional and would not be able to play amateur sports. My dad told me that, and I pitched a fit. That money was like an idol to me. I'd never had that kind of money before, and it was right there in my hand. There was the check, and there was the Sears catalog, and there was the, the two-man life raft with paddles. It was all there. I was so focused on that, I could care less about the future. I argued with my dad. I pouted. I behaved stupidly. All I could sense was the present. I could care less about the future. 
That's what I'd like to talk to you about today. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we find Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And as Matthew organizes his writings, he is very thematic, and he likes to organize things in threes. Last week, we saw Jesus' comments about reward in the context of threes, charitable deeds, prayer, and fasting. Today, we're going to look at wealth and the idolatry of wealth, and Jesus will use three illustrations to make the same point. He will talk about treasures, he will talk about singleness of purpose, and he will talk about serving. Let's read Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus' words, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Treasures, singleness of purpose, and serving. Let's look at treasures first. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, these, the issue here is spiritual riches or material wealth. You have eternal versus temporal. And this might be reflective of what we talked about last week, the reward from man when you do your religious things publicly, or the reward from God when you do them privately. So we're looking at kind of the same flavor of things, and the topic is treasures on earth. It's an accumulation of wealth for yourself. Notice what it says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus nowhere in his word teaches against the accumulation of wealth. What he preaches against is the accumulation of wealth for yourself. You see, wealth can be used for many wonderful, useful things. But unfortunately, many times wealth becomes the owner rather than the owner controlling wealth. Wealth controls the owner. And Jesus is talking about that. He says, make sure your treasures are not the type of treasures that will be destroyed or stolen. And virtually every treasure on earth will ultimately come to nothing. Jesus would say on another occasion, what good is it for a man to gain the entire world, the whole wealth of the world, and lose his soul? 
Well, what good is that? I'm, I marvel at these people that are striving so hard for wealth, striving so hard and they're stepping on other people to get it, and they're trying to control people and so forth and so on. They're gonna die. They're gonna be food for worms at some point. And what would it all have been worth? Nothing. So Jesus says in verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, this will be an interesting Bible study for you. Spend some time today in trying to find what treasures in heaven are. And if you want a hint, you won't find an answer. There's no answer given anywhere. Jesus doesn't say what they are. But he's saying treasures in heaven in contrast to treasures on earth. Now, it's true that the rabbis taught in Jesus' day that the phrase treasures in heaven is referring to the good deeds that have eternal effects or significance, like the person who leads another person to believe in God. That has eternal ramifications, or someone who helps someone to walk with God, or helping people in need. These have eternal ramifications. There are all kinds of false notions about how you store up treasure in heaven, and some of them, frankly, are a little bit silly. It's almost like uh, the wealthy woman that died and went to heaven and she was showing all the different things of heaven and she was ooing and aahing and she saw these beautiful mansions that people had and when she was showing hers, she was greatly, greatly disappointed. Hers was just a simple cottage compared to so many other people's. And she asked the angel, well, what happened? And the angel said, well, ma'am, it's all we could do with what you sent ahead. Well, that's cute, but it's also rather silly. The idea is not so much, well, what are these treasures? The idea is the sense of focus. Where is your focus? And Jesus says that in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we treasure the things of God, our heart will be concerned about the things of God. If we treasure something here on earth, that's where our heart will be, one way or the other. Jesus is very clear, one way or the other. When we go to verses 22 and 23, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now this is another illustration Jesus is using. You could interject the word heart for eye. They're both uh, interchangeable there and it still works. And the focus is on is your treasure temporary? If so, that's what's compiled for you. That's all you'll have. This is your reward. And it's, if it's dark, 
dark indeed it is. If it's light, light indeed. And it's talking about greed in this passage. Do you know that greed is a declaration that you do not believe in eternal life? Greed cannot function unless somebody doesn't believe in eternal life because greed wants it now and greed is willing to hurt other people to get it now. They want it now. In fact, the Bible speaks about that type of greed in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, and maybe this is a little bit of the treasures in heaven, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Greed is an awful, awful thing. And it's controlling in the Reader's Digest of May 1996, this story was written about a miser. A notorious miser was called on by the chairman of the community charity. Sir, said the fundraiser, our records show that despite your wealth, you've never once given to our drive. Do your records show that I have an elderly mother who was left penniless when my father died, fumed the tightwad? Do your records show that I have a disabled brother who is unable to work? Do your records show I have a widowed sister with small children who can barely make ends meet? No, sir, replied the embarrassed volunteer. Our records don't show those things. Well, I don't give any to them, so why should I give anything to you? That's the awfulness of greed. And that's what the Bible is teaching against. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let me reiterate, uh, wealth is not an issue with God. Whether we use wealth for the good of others or wealth controls us is an issue with God. So, we come back to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about treasures. You'll have a treasure on earth or you'll have one in heaven. Jesus is talking about singleness of purpose. Either light or darkness will be within us. And serving, Matthew 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It throws us off a little bit when Jesus contrasts two persons. You'll have to hate one and love the other. Uh, you likely have been torn between two things, and you didn't 
necessarily hate, but uh, could have passionately disliked. In this phrase used by the Jewish people, love and hate, is roughly equivalent to choose and not choose. It's a, it's a decision in favor of one over the other. That's simply all that it means. You'll have to choose one or you'll have to choose the other. You can't have both. All your lives you have heard that mammon is referring to material wealth, and it is. And so if we look at that, uh, you can't have two masters. You're either going to serve the God of heaven or the God of mammon. And literally, that's what it means. I didn't know that until this week. The word mammon is actually a name. It is the name of a Chaldean god. Now, the Chaldeans had many gods, and the name of this god was called the money god. So Jesus is literally saying in this verse, you can't have two masters. You cannot serve the true God and the money God at the same time. A decision must be made. Treasures, earth or heaven. Singleness of purpose, light or darkness. Serving God or the money God. I was livid. I wanted that inflatable raft with the paddles and I was livid. I didn't care about the future. My treasure was right there, right then at that time. That's all I cared about. Recognizing I was too immature to deal with it, my dad took the check and returned it. What a blessing. I was able to play junior high and high school sports, basketball, football, ran track, and um, some of my greatest, fondest memories of high school were around those experiences. Had I gotten that two-man inflatable raft with paddles, likely would have destroyed it in a couple of weeks, and it would have been a waste. I think of a couple things. Is there anything in your life that you are so focused on? You care more about it now than you do about the future? And I think uh, of this. In my immaturity, I was going to make the bad choice my father loved me too much and took the choice away. I wonder sometimes if the losses we experience aren't because God loves us too much to let us make an idol out of things. But then I also recognize that my dad back then, his preference would have been that I rationally thought through it and said, you're right, Dad, I, I, I love this money. I, I want that two-man life raft with the paddles. I really do, but man, I don't want to take this for a greater, 
and remove a greater future. Here, Dad, take the check. I think that would have been a great thing. And I'm wondering today in your life, if you've got things that you'd like to say to God, yeah, this is too important. This is too important for me. You either have to remove it or give me a proper perspective about it because I don't want to give up the future for something right now in the present. Or maybe you're honest enough to say, Lord, if there's something in my life I'm reluctant to give up, please take it. Is there anyone here willing to say to God, I want my treasures to be in heaven. And if there is something holding that back, please deal with it in my life. If you're willing to say that to God, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, Thank you for loving us too much to let us destroy ourselves. If there's something in our lives that is an idol holding us back, placing our heart in the wrong direction away from you, please, Lord, deal with it for us. Help us. Oh, Lord, please help us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing as we have our closing song. Yeah.
be found ready to meet him in peace when he appears. Father in heaven, I pray for these dear, dear people. Please continue watching over them and their families. I pray your presence would be so real in their lives that their faith in you would be strong. I'm asking that you will hear their prayers and answer those prayers according to your will. All of us are praying that you will save our children, our family members, our loved ones, and our friends. We thank you, and we pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless and go in peace.